0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week.
1: Understanding our voice and telling our story, that is something we all strive to be able to do. We want to know who we are and embrace it. And while most of us have dealt with and talk about personal journeys of discovery, we rarely think about how that same journey happens with brands we know and love. Brandon Roten thinks about that constantly, especially since he became the CMO of Potbelly. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Brandon tells us why finding a company's voice and embracing that voice will help that company stick out from the herd. Plus, he discusses his philosophy on how companies can work through the discovery process including the struggles that come with striving to be different. Enjoy this conversation. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
0: Here is your host, Ian Faison.
2: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we have special guest, Brennan, what's going on? What's going on? How are you doing, Ian? It's going good, despite all of the craziness out there. Uh, It's a great day to be talking about marketing and and a great day to be talking about uh, food, I feel like, because, uh, you know, it's close to lunchtime for us uh, here on the West Coast. So we're going to get into everything that is going on at Potbelly and your background. So first, how did you get started in marketing?
0: Yes, I started on the agency side in marketing, Uh, did a lot of work for B2B companies and tech companies and And back in the day when uh, nobody knew what social and digital was, I sort of figured out some of it on my own, which led Wendy's to wanting me to run their digital um, program. So I was the first person digital in their title at Wendy's, which uh, ultimately let me build a program there, build out new marketing there, build out a social team there, do all kinds of crazy stuff that got attention, um, which led me to uh, to where I am at, at Potbelly now. So started at an agency, but kind of went where the world took me. And so for those of our listeners who don't know about Potbelly, can you share a little bit
2: about the company and the size and scope and then kind of your marketing uh, responsibilities?
0: Yeah. So we have about 450 uh, corporate shops, about another 40, 50 franchise shops in the US. So we just shy of 500 locations, running about $450 million in, in revenue. Uh, it's the sandwich shop that started in Chicago in the 70s, uh, was sort of a local favorite, actually it was an antique shop that the guys there decided, you know what, people are hanging out and looking at our cool stuff. So might as well sell sandwiches illegally, actually, uh, at first. Um, and then it started growing really in the 90s and the 2000s. So I was brought on to, uh, to grow the brand. This is a brand with 500 shops, probably should have a couple thousand. So, uh, so Subway, here we come. I love it. What does it mean to be
2: in marketing at Popbelly where, uh, where like you said, you feel like it's this kind of period of brand building and, and what does a brand mean? How do you, how do you build that?
0: My previous gigs, people knew who the brand was. You know, Wendy's had 99% awareness. So my job there was to, to take a brand that had sort of lost its way and, and reestablish it um, Popbelly is a very different animal. This is a brand that unless you grew up in Chicago, unless you kind of physically went to the shop, you don't know what this is. Um, in fact, oftentimes we do national surveys and our awareness is less than 1%. So it's, I mean, my awareness at Wendy's was 99%. So it's the it's the opposite side of kind of the marketing equation. The job here is actually create a brand. We have a we have a product, we have a physical retail location, you know, 500 of them, but we don't actually have a brand that people uh, outside of those who visited the physical place know and and love. And so the, the opportunity here is actually to build a brand. Um, there's a, there's a product, there's an experience, but we have the brand has never really expressed that externally. So, you know, I got to do the rework and, and now the fun here is actually creating something a bit from scratch that, that starts with a great product and a great experience, but, uh, but there are kind of no rules. So that's why I took the gig is, is I get to make something
2: from nothing. And I'm curious, like what was marketing like for the organization before you got there?
0: Yeah, they ran a handful of ads kind of sporadically. Um, billboards that had a big picture of a sandwich and the logo. Um, it was pretty much product and and very local to Chicago. Uh, occasionally, they ran a little bit outside of Chicago, but it was almost nothing. You know, I was running hundreds of millions of dollars in marketing at Wendy's and, and at the agency side, tens of millions for each client per year. Usually, here, uh, this is a brand that that you know double checks on a five thousand dollar production fee. So it's it's just an extremely different. Um, extremely different task to sell in internally first, the idea of marketing. Now they would have hired me if they didn't want to do what I do, but first selling the idea that marketing actually grows a brand and creates long-term uh, value. And then past that actually wrap people's head around, well, what does marketing look like uh, for this brand establishing what the brand is? So, uh, so I had to do a lot of education at first, and then, uh, and then as I, I moved past kind of the education stage, it was really about showing people, Hey, I can, you give me a dollar, I'll give you four or five back. Uh, you know, a CFO doesn't care about your awareness numbers. They care about the bottom line and, and how much money you're bringing in versus your investment. So that was a big part of my first kind of six months or a year. Then I had to do a bunch of research to understand what the brand should be. Like I said, there was no communications externally to define what this is. All we were was, you know, a bunch of sandwiches. So we had to do a bunch of research to find that. Then we had to run a bunch of tests to see what, what actually worked in market. And then we started to scale the marketing. Um, and coming off of four or five years of decline, uh, we got the brand growing again. So it's really exciting to, uh, to be able to do all that hard work, prove to a, the organization that, you know, marketing is meaningful. And then actually see it in the numbers, you know, see the the business start to pitch up as you as you change things and push it into the world. We weren't quite expecting a pandemic, so we're a bit on pause, like everybody else is. But uh, but yeah, it's it's just a very different task and a very exciting task for a marketer. I love to build things, and this was an opportunity to build something. What were
2: some of those kind of tactics that you leaned into? Uh, in the early days saying, hey, we need to like our baseline level of stuff. We need to be doing the blocking and tackling of marketing, um, you know, whatever those
0: things might be. Yeah, I mean, at first, a lot of it was just letting the, the organization get comfortable with data and the fact that we're going to, you know, it's not about what your uncle thinks or, you know, the daughter of the chairman of the board or whatever. It's about what actually will create enough demand that it's worth talking about. So a lot of the front was just getting people comfortable with the idea of, of data and data collection and research and understanding where we can actually go to get business. Uh, and then, you know, our, our first kind of tactical efforts were all digital in nature. And, and part of that's my background. You know, i the built into digital social teams for Wendy's was my first kind of gig there. So So I was very comfortable with partners like Facebook and Twitter and Google and Reddit and all these guys. And... And we started with some digital marketing because there you can track your return on investment really cleanly. So, you know, after we, we got to be comfortable with the research, then we got to be comfortable with the investment and uh, the fact that investment gives us a clean return back. Um, and then, you know, pushing the boundaries on creative, you know, the things we've done most recently that have gotten attention, you know, when, when ad week's nice enough to write something good about us, uh, you know, generally the reason is because we, we are doing things that others aren't doing because there are no rules. So the liberating part about being an organization that really doesn't understand marketing and and an organization that doesn't really have a brand is you can do whatever the hell you want. Um, whatever's right for the brand. You know, when I was at Wendy's, you know, I had to spend a huge portion of my budget on TV and and the reason was that was the assumption going in, you know, TV is what grew us in the eighties and the nineties. Therefore, we need to run, you know, 250 TRPs a month uh, just to have the business stable. Well, those rules don't apply at Potbelly because there was never a TV buy of any scale. So when I have a franchisee say to me, hey, how come we aren't buying TV? I say, you want to pay an extra 3% commission? Because if you pay an extra 3% to the brand, I might be able to afford TV in your market. Yeah, exactly. but otherwise, I can't even swing it. So, so I think the big thing is just establishing sort of the basics of of what you need to do to, to start your marketing, to, to implement your marketing, and then get everybody excited about the fact that, you know, we can actually generate cash here. Um, for a lot of organizations, marketing is a, a cost. And you're you're not a cost. If you're doing your job, you're an investment. And you're an investment that pays back better than almost any other investment in the business. So as soon as we establish that, we're off to the races. We can get some really really cool stuff in the world. So, what were some of those? Uh, you talked about pushing the boundaries. What were
2: some of those things that uh, that pushed the boundaries a little bit?
0: Yeah. So, you know, this wasn't a brand that ever had done uh, any sort of experiential or or um, stunt marketing. So, one of the first things the team did was we uh, we established what our kind of position was, and our position is essentially the place to go for a lunch break. So, you know, we're, we're the we're the twenty or thirty minutes where you can get away from. Karen at the office who drives you up the wall and and sit down and actually have something awesome to eat while you're detaching from the world. And and as we established that as the, the, the position, this, this place for a lunch break and experience for a lunch break that led us to some executions that were kind of interesting. So one example was we, we ran a program where if you had a conference call scheduled between noon and one, we hired a voice double. And you could go to lunch and the voice double would take the conference call for you. That's hilarious. Yeah, we designed a waiver. So we would only say things like, I'll circle back on that or, um, you know, all the, all the BS cliche garbage everybody says on a conference call. But it actually worked really well. And we got written up for it and people were excited about the idea that Popbell doing something different. That led us to, uh, you know, a conference call system uh, reaching out to us saying, hey, you know, we'd love to do something with you. And we ended up recording uh, music for their hold uh, for their conference called Uber conference is the name of the company, uh, which actually is a really good conferencing system if you've never used it.
2: Yeah. We've had uh, we had Keith Meth- Messick, the CMO of Dialpad on uh, a couple
0: of times. He's great. There you go. There you go. So we ended up doing a program with them and, uh, and what we did was we recorded these songs that only played between noon and one. And it basically ripped on the person who called that conference you know, during lunch saying you guys should be at lunch right now. This is ridiculous. What are you doing? So, so executions like that uh, led us to an execution we just did two, three weeks ago where we did a zoom meeting and it was a lunch break meeting and we were passing our sandwiches around through the, the windows, you know, Brady bunch style windows in zoom, you know, that stuff, none of that stuff is outrageous. None of that stuff is, you know, I'm not, you know, lighting a bag or whatever and sticking it on Subway's porch But, um, but what it does is it lets us experiment and figure out where the brand should go. Are people comfortable with the brand playing in the areas we're playing in? And, and ultimately it gets us attention that doesn't cost us much. Um, and our team has a blast doing it. So, you know, those are just some of the executions past that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not spending a nickel with the folks that I used to have to spend money with in my old jobs. You know, here all my money's going to Facebook and Google and Reddit and Twitter and and the folks that I have a direct ROAS, uh, you know, line to, and tools that let me make changes in the fly and be agile. So when a global pandemic hits, you know, I can actually change my buy in a matter of hours, versus get stuck in an upfront that takes me, you know, weeks to get out of. So. So it's it's actually very liberating. Um, I thought at first when I joined, this is an opportunity to build something, be scrappy. But the truth is, I don't feel I don't feel chained to anything, and uh, and it lets us do things for the brand that directly benefit it, uh, benefit us every day. It's really cool.
2: When you have those like ROI discussions uh, on things like you were saying um, with the the hold music for the conference calls or things like that, like what is your like investment to ROI um, ratio that you're looking at there as you're talking to the CFO?
0: Yeah, so what the way the way I ended up pitching that, and I've, I've done it in previous slides too, is those are those are the kind of icing on the cake moments where I know what the production cost is going to be. I know if there's any you know if there's any out of pockets that that have to occur. So I know what the kind of cost to produce the thing is. And as long as I can slip it into the bigger program and and I'm not having to, you know, I don't have to sell a program into a CFO. I got to sell the budget to the CFO. So, so as long as it's part of a bigger thing, it works well. So if I have a, if I have a, you know, display slash social buy that's a million bucks and the production for that costs $25,000 and the production for a program like the the Uber conference effort is 20 grand. Well, my production cost for that program now is 50 grand or 45 grand and 45 grand against a million dollar buy when I can get a four or five to one ROI or better. That's a no brainer. So, I just got to get scrappy in the production for the rest of the thing. So I can't go and spend a hundred thousand dollars on a radio execution or I can't spend, you know, half a million dollars on a 15 second video spot like I used to in my old lives. But, uh, but I slip it in with the other things, not to be facetious, but just to say, I, you need to have multiple layers here. You need to have the thing that's hardworking bottom funnel gets you a direct row as, and then you need the shiny thing, the thing at the top that has the potential to get awareness and reach way beyond the buy. So anytime we put a program forward, I always have that shiny thing on top that, you know, I can't necessarily say that this is the direct, you know, thing that will give us the attribution we need to drive the end result. But what I can do is say that gives us potential to go way past the ROAS that I know I can achieve in the lower funnel uh, work. So the short answer is you kind of put it as part of the whole, And when someone like at a board level, whatever, ask a question like, what was the return on that execution? You talk about the program as a whole uh, because some you can't have direct attribution on, but you know, there's value in people talking about the brand when you do something crazy like the Uber conference effort.
2: Yeah, no, I love that mindset. I I always think about it like, you know, kind of the same way that, you know, an investor or a VC or somebody like that would look at making investments where you have, you know, if one piece of the campaign can return the entire campaign, then that's then that's great. But the problem is that a lot of times, you know, marketing spend is set up. So there's nothing that could be exponential in the in the group, right? It's like a TV ad rarely is going to be, you know, exponential or it has limits or, you know, even, you know, Facebook or things like that or Google ads um which you know more or less you're going to get get out what you put in um but like you said having that little extra that 10 percent on top that can uh that can return the entire rest of uh make it all roi positive just on its own or you know if that part of it flops then oh well you know it was worth the it was worth the the learning experiment
0: yeah i think it's just a pure risk versus reward thing and, and the biggest moments you know that I've been lucky enough to be a part of in my career the things that have led to Clio's and Lions and all that stuff were always in that ten percent. They were always in that piece that you didn't really expect it to to you know knock it out of the park. But if without it, you would have looked back and said, "I don't you know this program was good, but it wasn't something that you know is worthy of of people seriously talking about you know the marketing." A good example of that is uh, you know one of the bigger moments while I was at Wendy's was uh, when we had. Uh, Carter Wilkerson, uh, so Nugs for Carter, when we had the most retweeted moment in the history of Twitter, uh, you know, made Ellen, made national news, made international news, got us billions of dollars worth of free impressions. And that was literally, you know, us exchanging a tweet back and forth at 10 o'clock at night with a teenager who wanted chicken nuggets. And if we wouldn't have had the infrastructure set to do that and then ultimately put media behind it, put a PR machine behind it to get to get spread of it, we wouldn't have actually, you know, I mean, Twitter used that as an example of why brands, why their earnings were what they were and why brands, they mattered to brands. And that was just, you know, this little thing that was part of a much larger program that could have gone nowhere or could have blown up and it blew up. So I think that 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 piece at the top, those things that are a bit of Hail Marys, they're low risk Hail Marys are are a huge part of what's important in marketing today. And if you ignore those and just go for efficiency and reach, you're never going to do work that people actually talk about.
2: Well, so, and I I have to ask, you know, you've won a ton of awards and we're going to get into a bunch of the stuff that you did at Wendy's here in a sec, but um, I'm curious, when you look back at those things, I would imagine that the conversation with the you know depending on the award but like with the leadership team where you say hey we won these awards and they might say something like yeah that's great does that mean people buy our stuff or does that mean like we were the most creative person in the room right um it was like uh, when i was a kid my pinewood derby, derby car was always uh the most ridiculous looking, but it never won the race. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, like how much of that stuff, and I know there's tons of value in like doing creative work and, and getting your team focused on making award-winning work. Um, but how did you kind of have those conversations if, you know, leadership was ever like, yeah, this is great to win the awards, but what about results?
0: Yeah, so I do think you have to marry results to every program. So I never put in for an award, never had my people put in for award if the program didn't actually result in a positive business outcome. And I I just, I think it's facetious to say you did something cool, but you saw no results. And, and it can be a longer term result. It doesn't have to be, you know, that quarter we saw a huge shift, but if you don't at least have metrics you can point to that are real in the business, not vanity metrics that we invent because they make us feel good the real metrics in the business, if you see your awareness change, if you see propensity to purchase change, if you see a, a, a controversial topic you know, shift in perception, these are valuable. So I personally never put in for anything unless I could justify that the business actually saw a benefit. Having said that, the early justification, and I had every program that ever won big accolades, doesn't matter if it was, you know, front page of Reddit, you know, front page of ad week, ad age, or Clio or Align or whatever. Everything I ever did, I was told no at least once by my boss. Every single program That's funny. that I have ever gotten any accolades for, my boss said no at least once. Sometimes five or six times. Sometimes I did it anyway. And And it's not because I'm defiant. It's not because my people are stubborn. It's because... When I had, and half the time I didn't understand the program, when I saw my creatives super excited about a program and I could see it, you could see it in their eyes, you could hear it in their voice. When you knew that the logic for what they wanted to do against the target they wanted to deliver it to was solid and they were really excited, it's your job, I think, as a CMO or a leader in marketing to get out of the way of good ideas and to make a path for them. So whenever they were really excited, I fought tooth and nail to get the thing in the world. And you know, half of them hit, half of them don't, half of them hit small of that half that hit and the other half hit big. So you're getting maybe 25, 20% of the things that you push into the world actually get enough attention that you point back to them and say, wow, that was amazing. I mean, the, the people that are today running Wendy's Twitter efforts, you know, I was told to fire by board members at the beginning of the process and not because they're wrong. It's because they didn't understand it at the time. It just, when you get down to it, most people don't get what works. And it's not because they're not smart people. It's just because they, they don't have enough empathy of the, and, and see things from the people's perspective that you're trying to deliver the message to. They can see that there's going to be an impact. And I have to give huge credit to everybody that I've ever worked for because I'm a I'm a pain in the ass to work for because of it. Because if there's a cool idea, I'll fight tooth and nail to get that idea in the world and it won't always work. And then I'll point back to it and say, yeah, I wasn't sure if that worked or not either. But it but my people were excited and, and the logic was right and it felt like it was a fit. So it it is sometimes a really tough sell. That's why I think you gotta couch it in. Bigger programs, so tie it into something bigger that directly connects to what the brand truly stands for. Because if you're going out and just doing crazy stuff to do crazy stuff, you're not actually building anything. So it's got to be based on what your brand is. You have to start with who you are. You know, I said with Pop Belly, we're the place for a lunch break. So the programs I described to you make sense. If I were to go out and say, "What instead we're going to do is is do nothing but beat up on another brand and that's it, that's our only you know thing we're going to do," you would say, "Has anything to do with a lunch break?" You know, for Wendy's, we were the challenger brand. Where's the beef? Establish that brand. It was the first brand to call out other brands and say, you guys are cutting corners and, and that's not acceptable. So it's okay to troll other brands. It's okay to push. It's okay to, to do the things that we did. We had permission because that was what the brand was. So, so I think you have to couch it in something larger. And, and if you ever put in for a lion without a business result, you, first of all, you'd have to, in your entry for any of those big awards, you got to say you had a business result. So you're either lying about the business result or lying to yourself about the business result. And past that, how can you hold up a, a you know, a trophy at your organization and say, my team is doing amazing work and, and not actually have a business result to show for it? I think that's, that's going to get you into more trouble long term than it will actually help you. Um, and, and I would, I'll just add, there are other ancillary benefits. You know, it was really easy to hire people in marketing at Wendy's because we had so much, we had so much attention and so many accolades. My recruitment costs dropped by like, you know, one, down to one-tenth of what they were when I first started because if I wanted a good social person, I just had to look through my email. I had 25 that week say they wanted to work for us. So I, I think there are a lot of other benefits that you can easily say, you know, when we get good attention and people that were known for something, It's actually good for the brand. It's good for the the organization, and hopefully, you can hold up good business results. Sorry, went on a little rampage there, but hopefully, I answered your question. No, that's great. I mean,
2: uh, and I'd 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 even like to you to expand on those conversations. um, You know, early days at Wendy's about building the social channel, because I mean, I think Wendy's is pretty widely considered to be at the very top of brands that engage on social media. Um, and it has never felt like it was something that was forced, at least to me uh, and to a lot of marketers, that it was like really organic and natural, um, which means that you had some really, really sharp folks that were working on that team to kind of bring that to life. Uh, so I'm curious, like, what was what was the origin of, uh, of the account and
0: that team? Yeah. So, you know, we started with establishing the position. We went back to where's the beef and the idea that we're a challenger, but we're a challenger that's got charm and kind of gives you a wink. Um, and, and that led us to build out uh, a social media team that could speak in that voice. In fact, the first person I hired, a woman named, a copywriter named Amy, uh, I found her online and she sounded just like what, you know, we defined as the, the at least the very early days, potential voice. the brand. So we started hiring people that sort of sounded like what we thought this challenger voice would be. They started having moments and interactions online that got a bit of attention in places because they were being who they were. They were they sounded like humans. We were being, you know, the challenger uh, and and kind of embracing that voice. And very early on when that was happening, you know, this was a brand that grew up with Dave Thomas on TV. That's what drove the brand was Dave Thomas on TV. And And a lot of people didn't understand why were we doing this? Why did we, why, you know, there was a Wall Street Journal article. There was a Forbes article talking about why Wendy's was ruining social media because we were a brand that didn't sound like a brand and that wasn't following convention. You know, you don't, you don't have informal speech. You don't use slang, which now sounds almost, you know, like it's gone too far. You don't, you don't, create sort of a outside of customer service. Nobody in social was really being human in these platforms. So, so I, I vividly remember very early on, I had a lot of folks challenge me that they said, this is not right. This is, and I had PR agencies that we had, I had our, we at the time had a traditional agency and I brought in a digital agency and the traditional agency was kicking a fit saying, this is totally unacceptable. This is not even Tolerable brand, tolerable behavior for marketing or for brands, and and until we started to get positive headlines and positive momentum in the business from the work, it was an uphill battle. I mean, probably a whole year. It was an uphill battle, and I got to give huge credit to my management team at the time. You know, the CEO that that I was a part of the team that was brought in, a guy named Emil Brolick and. And ultimately I, you know, went through four CMOs while I was there, but ultimately the, the CMOs that were in place, you know, by and large defended the work. And the reason they defended the work was, you know, the, we, the team made a really good case of why it was appropriate for the position of the brand. And past that, we started to see a pitch up in the numbers. We started to see people talk positively about the brand. I mean, go back to the early two thousands and fast food, social media, everybody in fast food was making kids fat pink slime was a thing. Um, you know, every discussion was negative. Our, I think our sentiment was something like 85% negative in 2010, 2011. And then by 2013, 2014, it, it had flipped. It was like 85% positive within a couple of years. And the, and the primary reason was we were actually interesting. Uh, and I think that's what really led to the the success specifically of that brand is we weren't the, Everything that was being argued for from the agencies to, in most cases, not all the agencies, but in some of the agencies' cases and the folks that were internal that didn't get it from, from external folks that didn't understand it was, why don't you just look like everybody else? And the argument that my team had was, well, that's the problem. That's the reason everyone's ignoring us. That's the reason that we're not growing is because we look like everyone else. And we don't have a good story to tell if we look like everyone else. So let's embrace who we really are, this challenger. So, and it's funny because once the tide really began to turn, everyone took credit for it. Everybody jumped up and down saying this was the right thing to do from the beginning. That's how everything works. Right. But it it was a hard year and a half, two years. And especially that first year where every day we could have lost it every day. You know, I could have had to fire somebody. Um, you know, I had to have some really, really uncomfortable conversations with really important people at Wendy's and, and investors of Wendy's where they just didn't understand why are you guys doing this? Why don't you just do what McDonald's is doing? Why don't you just do what these other guys are doing? Um, so I got to give my organization huge credit. They were willing to, to jump on that. And I still have those conversations today at Popbelly, frankly. You know, when I talk about the Zuber conference thing, it you know, the first two months it was out there, people were like, you're just wasting your time. You're wasting your money. I don't understand it. Why don't you just buy this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you just build a TV spot? And until, you know, you get an ad right up and you know, everybody's a critic. Uh, and as soon as you get some accolades, people say, well, of course that's smart. So I think you got to keep fighting for, you know, what's right. And you know, what consumers will pay attention to. And it's really easy to be vanilla, but it's really in- easy to be ignored when you're vanilla. So why not do something interesting that you actually think is going to get attention? Well, I'm curious what it was like in those,
2: in that first year, as you started, you know, Hidden send tweet on some of the ones that w- were using that type of language because I'd imagine, you know, I, we see this a lot with podcasts where it's like there's, um, there's this like hesitancy to just truly make a great show that is like enduring, that has like a scope and scale that would make something last. And it's like so many people just want like the experiment culture that we're kind of in right now. And and I, in a good way um, for a lot of marketers, it's like, well, let's run an experiment. Right. But it's like, if you had just said, Hey, let's run an experiment and say like, we're going to talk, you know, use whatever colloquialisms for two weeks and then stop. Like that's not, that would have never moved the needle, right? And you probably would have got all the bad press and then none of the good press, right? It like would have been killed before it, it even had a chance to, to grow. And I'm just curious, like how many times were there those moments where you're like, eh, should we like, who, like who's approving those tweets? Like stuff like that. I'm just
0: curious. Yeah, it was, it was hard. I mean, I, I had to fly to New York to tell my agency it's okay to use contractions. I mean, it's that nuts. It's that nuts. Are you serious? That's, <laughs> That's wild. It was unreal. Now, mind you, I let them go shortly after because it was one of these things that I just knew that it was a traditional agency and I couldn't get their head wrapped around where we were trying to be. But it, 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 people are that set. I mean, the reason, I, I would argue this is true in any creative endeavor, right? On paper, Batman versus Superman should have been the best action movie ever, right? It sucked. It sucked. Yet something like Guardians of the Galaxy comes out and it's amazing. It, you have to push the boundaries and do what feel what is right. You can't anytime group think creates something, it's bad. Anytime, there has never been an endeavor in the history of human creation, I would argue, that if you get a giant room of people that all claim to are professionals, they produce something great. Nine times out of ten, it's a small group that sees things from one perspective and understands who they're trying to talk to. And if you pull that off, it resonates like nothing else. And, and I'd argue that it's no different in marketing. The things that everyone says is good are usually bad. The things that everyone in a boardroom nods to and says that's great work is usually gonna fail. Nine times out of 10. Because if it's, if it's consensus that it's good, usually what that means is there's nothing about it that's interesting. It's just low risk. Most people in most organizations spend 90% of their time trying not to get fired. That's it. They're just trying, they're, they're, trying to reduce risk. You think if someone in your finance department is trying to push the boundaries of anything, hell no. All they're trying to do is not get fired nine times out of 10. And if that's your attitude is don't get fired, you're never going to make anything interesting.
2: Yeah. I would be curious to see like, what are some of the campaigns that people have done the truly bad ones <laughs> that did get people fired. You know, I, I can't imagine that uh people were too thrilled about the uh that burger the Burger King ads with the rotting burgers. But like again, who knows? Maybe that worked. You know, maybe that was something that actually did work. But, you know, I I think of, you know, the the Kendall Jenner, I think it was the um the Pepsi ad or whoever it was, a Kardashian or a Jenner or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just, there's, there are some campaigns that I'm, I'd be curious to see like, which were the ones that that really flopped where people, you know, decided to take a risk. Although I guess the Pepsi one was probably not really a risk at all. Um, it was just kind
0: of lame. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, I, I guarantee you, and and I'm not knocking Pepsi here. They're amazing marketers nine times out of 10. But that, that Khloe Kardashian ad where she was giving a Pepsi to a cop during a riot, they were all probably sitting around like, yeah, this is perfect. Somebody used the word zeitgeist 10 times. I guarantee it in that damn meeting. And everyone felt really good that we're part of the solution and we're being positive. And there were probably 10 or 12 people at the agency or, or at, the, at Pepsi who were like, this is cringy and it's going to get us murdered. But they didn't want to get fired. So they kept their mouth shut. And they weren't in high enough positions that what they said really mattered anyways. And, and, you know, nobody's got a crystal ball. I'm not claiming I know creative better than anybody else on the planet. I've, I've worked with great people is really what's happened in my world. And I'm, I'm pretty good at identifying who knows what they're talking about when it comes to creative and and media. But when it gets down to it, you know, if you, if you water it down, if you make it vanilla, if you make everyone comfortable with it, if every single person, and your executive team and your board has to approve everything that goes out the door, every tweet, you are screwed. There is no way you're gonna do anything interesting. And that's not to say that you don't have people above you that know what they're talking about. And sometimes they'll save you, by the way. I've had, I've had executives save me. I've, was, I've been about to push something out and if they wouldn't have nixed it or changed it, I'd have gotten a lot of hot water because of it or done something that would have hurt the brand but usually the groupthink consensus actually pulls work backwards pretty dramatically and that's not, i'm not saying that for vanity i'm not saying it for stubbornness i'm saying it cuz it's my experience you know the work that's really broken through i know for a fact had to fight to get into the world and everything that my teams have ever done and i'd argue is still doing even at Wendy's now the work that that actually gets huge attention I see the backstory. It's hard to get into the world. And God love the people in the organization who fight for it. But not everybody does. A lot of people are much more comfortable with just tell me what your TV ad buy is going to look like and show me food. Because that's so much easier than doing something that, that actually requires some talent, and some skill. So the other side of this is
2: that when you try to you know, push the line or push the limit, at some point you're going to cross it. I'd be curious, did that ever happen where, you know, you gave folks autonomy to say and do funny things and somebody did take it too far and you had to issue some apologies
0: and do stuff like that? Absolutely. In fact, if you Google it, you can find, you can find journalistic evidence of it. You know, we had the top guy at Wendy's tweet something that it turned out was, you know, something the alt-right used and was connected to neo-Nazis at one time. So it happens, it happens. And it was a total accident. He had no idea what he, that that was connected to it. It was completely honest mistake. There was nothing about it that was intentional. And we had to backtrack from it. There were articles written about it. There was front page Reddit things about it. I was told, you know, we got to deal with this and maybe in a very severe way when it happened. But that's probably happened to me a half dozen times where you, there, there is risk in giving people permission, giving me permission to do things. There is risk in making a mistake and having people misinterpret what you do. And, and ultimately I think you just have to take that for what it is. There's benefit and there's risk and you have to do your best to avoid as much of the risk as you can. But if you avoid all the risk, you won't do anything good. So, so absolutely it's, it's happened to me. And, and even at my current company, it's happened to me where we did something and someone took it the wrong way. Um, I've done things at our current company. I've, I've sent things out on our social channels that got us in trouble and there were articles written about how we were getting in trouble and I had to, you know, find a way to get around it and, and move on. Um, unfortunately in the world we're in, everyone will twist things and sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes it's your own stupidity because you didn't see how someone would take whatever it is you said. Um, I just think it's part of the, the risk reward of, of hiring great people who have talent or willing to push boundaries.
2: Do you have any favorite, uh, any moments or stories, uh, from the Wendy's days of something that went
0: particularly, uh, different than you had had expected? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we, uh, we ran a program one time where we had a really spicy product and we were talking about it and we ran this huge campaign around it. And, you know, I was coming off of five or six big wins and, uh, it flopped entirely and not only flopped entirely but some people translated as you know we had uh, intentions that involve race and all kinds of other crazy stuff so so you know I, i'd argue my team's learned as much off of those moments where we made big bets and they failed uh which didn't happen as often as as it could have um no different than the the moments that we made a big bet and it won or a little bet and it won um you know, we, we had, we got into fights with brands a lot. And, you know, one example was we got into a fight with Burger King over, um, over a, a four for four, you know, we launched four for four. When I was at Wendy's yep. <laughs> and they came out with five for four and we got in this back and forth with them and it could have turned out really, really bad, but thank God the person that was running, that runs the, you know, day to day on Wendy's is actually a comedian. And his main thing is to. To, to roast people. And uh, you know, he saved it at the last minute. But I can tell you the chain was so bad that at some point I thought, I may need to update my resume. Uh, cause this is going back and forth, and I know people are gonna talk about this and we're not gonna come out on the winning end of it. But luckily, hire somebody with talent, let him dig in, let him do his job, and and he saved it in the end. But um, you know, I've I've sat in boardrooms, had to explain what bay means. And what you know most <laughs> words mean, That's and why it's okay that we're we're calling this brand a name, and why it's okay that you know we're teaming up with a brand that has nothing to do with us to beat up on another brand. Uh, the the conversations I've had have been uh, if you took them out of context, you'd think that it was crazy people talking. So yeah, unfortunately, I've got a lot of battle scars, but I think uh, I think the team. You know, always saves the day. That's why I, I I hire really talented people, and I trust those people because more more often than not, the people that get you in trouble also save your butts, um, and ultimately get get more love for your brand, and that's what you're looking for.
2: There is really some for our listeners. If you haven't checked it out, if you just go back and <laughs> and uh, and check out some of the threads of of the Wendy's tweets. I mean, it is some truly great uh sometimes cringe worthy stuff but i just like i think that when you're in a market like that that's so competitive um and you're competing for you know that mind share and what people are going to do uh you know for lunch or for dinner or whatever it is um you know being at the top of of people's feeds and getting those billion of impressions. Like, I mean, how much, like, if you could go back in time, like how much was hiring that comedian worth to you to be able to have that talent in house? And I think, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, marketing teams don't, don't try to figure out how to, uh, how to fill out their team with folks like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, I would argue the, the, you look at the trajectory of the brand and, and, you know, you go back to real ROI when, The team that was brought in, and I was part of a big team that was brought in, so it certainly just wasn't marketing. It was a lot of other components that that helped rebuild the brand. It was a 10 years. That brand was a 10 years of decline. It had just split from Arby's and the articles being written were essentially Wendy's is going to go away. And, And it's hard to think about that, that that was a thing, but it was. It was literally at a time when this was a brand that was floundering. Um, and it had done what most brands do. It started to just talk about new and it started to just come out with crazy stuff all the time. But none of it was interesting. It was all middle of the road. You know, we did this 20 years ago and therefore it'll work again kind of stuff. And when we pivoted, in part, it was out of desperation. I joined because there was no... I knew it was either grow or die. And I went, what the hell? We'll see what we can do something and when we started hiring the people we hired, we started to get the attention we got. It was a breath of fresh air. It was an organization that was really good at marketing for a long time and it just lost its way for 10 years. And was really excited to see kind of the horizon again and the fact that, that we people are talking about us. Wendy Thomas is a franchisee. The namesake of the brand is a franchisee. And I, I remember sitting with her and she was just like, it's exciting for people to talk about our brand in a way that, that they say, we know what we're doing again. And, and it wasn't just because of me, it was because of a huge team of work, but and it was so exciting to see a huge organization rally around marketing again. And, and I, don't, I can't quantify what you know, bringing in VML, our digital agency gave us. I can't quantify what bringing in this specific person, his name is Matt, that, that you know, runs the Twitter account. I, or, or Amy Brown, who was the first voice for the brand in the early days, and, and really was the guiding light for a lot of years for what our social voice was. I can't quantify what it was to to combine media and and creative, and combine digital and traditional. But we got to do all that while I was there. But it, without that, there is no way that brand would have racked up twenty eight plus quarters of growth. No way. You point back to what created that. And a lot of it was just people started talking about the brand again and thought it was interesting again. And you look back now and you're like, well, Wendy's is just really good at this. It hasn't been good at it for very long. You know, it's been like 10 years the brand's been good at it. That's it. And in marketing terms, that's nothing. You know, you look at a, a, a brand like Nike that's been good at this for 25 years, you know, good at marketing for a long, long time uh it's a It's a big shift, and it was really exciting to be a part of that and and I give huge credit to the team and and vML, our digital agency who now runs all you know i right before I left, we gave them all uh all marketing uh digital and, and creative our 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 media agency that was willing to play ball, you know our executives that that gave us the rope to go do this stuff um, it's It's really exciting. And that, that's the kind of story I want to be able to tell about PopElly. You know, we're just starting, we're at the beginning of it. But just the fact that I can actually say, well, we've strung up a few quarters now that that we've seen comp growth, you know, comp improvement. I can point to a couple quarters where marketing is the difference between positive and negative sales uh, trajectory. I can point to, you know, articles being written about what we're doing. I'm I'm, I'm at that first year, year and a half stage that I was at at Wendy's at Potbelly. And that's, what's really exciting seeing that shift start to happen and the organization start to embrace what it is to be a brand with, uh, with an attitude and a little bit of scale. It's very exciting. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about on this show a lot,
2: this idea of like when, when brands cut their campaigns too short, you know, you look at like most interesting man in the world is like a famous one where it's like, that could have gone on forever and like nobody would ever complain, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I think you built such a strong voice in your team and the company built such a strong voice. like, imagine, you know, going back in the day and say like this company, like Wendy's is funny. Like that, that would be the first thing that you would think about for a company that, you know, is a fast food company. Like what an achievement. Um, and to keep that voice going is such a no brainer now. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty phenomenal achievement.
3: And look
0: at the guys who are doing it now. You look at stake look at spark notes, look at some of these folks that are just amazing on their platforms that you would, you would never expect they would be genuinely good at this stuff. But, uh, it just goes to show that the wonderful thing about digital marketing, in my opinion, and I I'm relatively agnostic when it comes to marketing, I've run billions of dollars of traditional and hundreds of millions or maybe billions of of digital. But when you get down to it, the wonderful thing about modern marketing is you can be good. If you just have a solid position executed well, you don't need billions of dollars of scale. You know, when I first started at Wendy's, the, the complaint was, well, we only have a few hundred million dollars to spend in marketing. And I'm coming off brands that were lucky to have 10, 12 million a year in marketing, lucky to have three, 4 million in some yeah. cases a year. And they, they say, well, the reason we can't succeed is because McDonald's has a billion dollars. What the hell are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? Any brand today can break through if you just have the right position and, and enough persistence to do really good work for long enough that people pay attention. Uh, and that's really exciting.
2: All right, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. We love Salesforce. They've been with this podcast since the very beginning. Check them out, salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Brandon, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what app on your phone
0: is the most fun? Right now, TikTok. Pretty crazy, right? It's nuts, you know, My, it's because I have two teenagers, and I love Insta, I love Facebook, I love Twitter, but there's something going on on TikTok that's really interesting, especially for brands. If you're not paying attention to TikTok right now, I think you're uh, you're missing something. Best book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently. Best book or podcast. So there's this podcast called Masters Decoded that's really interesting. It's a guy who essentially talks from people from all walks of life. And it's all about how they went through their crazy careers. And it's, it's pretty interesting. It's got kind of an international flair to it. Um, guy's based in India. But it's, it's worth checking out it's called Masters Coded. What about your favorite thing to cook or eat? So uh, we love making boneless chicken wings, which is a, uh, basically a chicken finger. But my kids are obsessed with boneless chicken wings and we dip them in barbecue. They are the worst thing on the planet for you, but they are delicious. So if you haven't invented your own dredge for your boneless chicken wings, you're missing out on something important in life. Best advice for a first time CMO? Get a good contract because if you don't take risks, you're gonna fail. You got a choice. You can either fail because you risked and did interesting things that got you fired or you're going to fail because you did nothing interesting and you didn't grow your business or your brand. So get a good contract. That way you can take some risks and if they fire you, who cares? Go find another better job. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I guess it's, um, do you need money to be successful in marketing? Do you need a big budget? People rarely ask that question. And I think the answer is absolutely no, you do not. You need good ideas. You need to prove that the investment is worthwhile, but you don't need hundreds of millions of dollars for people to talk about your brand.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, as we say all the time on the show is marketing is meant to be remarkable, which means somebody needs to tell someone else about it. Um, and, uh, that means that it's got to be creative and smart and in the right place at the right time. It doesn't mean that it needs to be uh, in front of, you know, it, with the most amazing set design and all that other stuff. So
0: I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think the, the trick is just, just find what your brand is, what your position is, and then find an interesting way to express it. If you do that, uh, the media will come. So don't worry about budgets, worry about good ideas. Good ideas uh, tend to find budget, which is pretty cool. Well,
2: that's it. That's all we got for today. Brennan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Any final thoughts? I mean, well, first off, everyone should check out, if there's a there's a store locator, uh, if you go to potbelly.com slash locations, uh, anywhere in the Chicago area, you are obviously already know about it. But um there's a, there's a bunch hopefully near you not yet in the in Northern California um, but uh, so I'll, maybe I'll need to go down to LA to uh, uh, to get me some potbelly
0: yeah go get yourself a rack get yourself the best damn cookie in the world the oatmeal chocolate chip cookie potbelly is worth checking out if you've uh, if you've been going to uh, you know your your huge chain sandwich shops you're missing out on what a sandwich should be it's worth uh, worth checking out.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care.
1: Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at Salesforce dot com slash marketing.